This recording is a ministry of Grace Bible Church of Pleasant Hill, California. We want to thank you for listening and invite you to visit us each Lord's Day on our campus located at 40 Cleveland Road, Pleasant Hill, California, or at any time at GBCPH. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm honored to be invited to speak to you. Um, let me go ahead and pray before I get started. Father, I am not sufficient for these things. I am not sufficient to reach the hearts of these people or even my own heart. I pray, Lord, that you would speak through me, that your spirit would empower the preaching of your word to change us all into the likeness of your son. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, whenever I drive to unfamiliar places, I use an app on my phone to make sure that I get there when I'm supposed to get there and that I get there at all. Um, Back when I was first considering church planting in Calistoga, I drove up there to a meeting and I gave myself plenty of time to get up there, so I thought. When I was about halfway up the highway, my app told me to take a side road. That side road would add an extra 10 minutes to my drive. I I couldn't do that. I would be late. So I thought, that can't be right. This app doesn't know what it's talking about. So I ignored the directions and kept going the way that I knew would get me there on time. I was stuck in standstill traffic for 20 minutes before I finally swallowed my pride and turned around and took that side road. You see, in my pride, I ignored the directions I was given. And my progress was brought to a grinding halt, all because I thought I knew better. And I distorted the plan to get where I was going. In our pride and self-righteousness, we also tend to distort God's plan for the ministry. So we must minister his way in order to be effectively used by him. We've got to follow his directions, not just what we think is best. We're going to see in our passage in 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 21, four aspects of God's ministry to correct our prideful distortion of it. God's ministry has four exclusive aspects, and if we get any one of these aspects wrong, our ministry will come to a grinding halt. These four aspects are the motive, the means, the method, and the message. But let's read through the passage, and then we'll look at each of these aspects closer. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 21. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 
That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The first aspect of God's ministry to correct our prideful distortion of it is the motive for the ministry. The motive for the ministry. In verse 18, all this is from God. Well, all what is from God? The verse just before this one, Paul was talking about becoming a new creation, spiritual transformation. The old is gone. The new has come. And this is a huge spiritual blessing from God, from old to new, from blind to seeing, from stranger to family, from condemned to forgiven, from dead to alive. And this spiritual blessing of transformation is entirely from God. It's all from God. There's not one aspect of it that comes from our own effort. We don't have this blessing because of our wise decisions. We don't have this blessing because of our good deeds. We don't have this blessing because of our clean living. We don't have this blessing because of our love for each other. We don't have this blessing because of our love for God. We don't have this blessing because we go to church. We don't have this blessing because we read our Bible every day. We don't even have this blessing because we say amen when the preacher says something we like. You can go ahead and say it. All of this is from God because he wanted to. Because he loves you. Not because you earned it. All this is from God who, through Christ, reconciled us to himself. And what does it mean to be reconciled? Well, it means there's a broken relationship that must be mended. A separation has occurred that must be brought back together. I think many of you know Pastor Ryan Rippey. He tells this vivid story to illustrate exactly what reconciliation is. Well, I would butcher it, so I'll just give you the cliff notes. His brother ended up in a skiing accident and broke the ball of his shoulder clean off from the rest of his arm bone. Yeah. The doctors weren't sure if it would work, but they 
put the arm back where they thought it should be. And after they looked at the, the x-rays, there was not even a hint of a break. The ball and the arm bone had been brought back together and been reconciled. They had been brought together and mended so that it was as if nothing had ever happened to separate them in the first place. Now the doctors reconciled that bone, but who did the reconciling between us and God? That's right, God did it through his son, Jesus Christ. I certainly didn't do it. You didn't do it. And those we're trying to witness to, they won't do it either. God is the one who did all the work to reconcile us back to himself. We did the running. He did the reconciling. But there's another thing that God has given us. What does our passage say next? And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Well, what is this so-called ministry of reconciliation? It's servant work. The word ministry comes from the same root words for slave or servant It's hard work for the benefit of others. That's what ministry is. It's not some cushy desk job where we get to order others around all day. It's not some get-rich-quick scheme. It's not some easy way to give advice for a better life so we can sleep better at night. It's hard work for the benefit of others. But whose ministry is it anyway? It says that God gave us this ministry, so is it our ministry or God's ministry? Yes. It's both our ministry and God's ministry because he gave it to us. God's the one doing the reconciling. He initiated the whole thing. He's the one that does all the heavy lifting. But he gave it to us. It's his plan that we get to put into practice. We get to participate in his ministry. because he graciously handed off this part of the process to us. We get to be a part of God's plan of salvation. Now why would he give us this ministry instead of just doing it himself? I mean, I would be afraid I would mess the whole thing up. God gave us this ministry because he knew that with his other gifts, we would be compelled to it. When we really understand the amazing gifts of new life and our own reconciliation with God, 
there's a supernatural desire to share those gifts with as many people as possible. God has given us an outlet for the desire that he put there in the first place. The only effective motive for this ministry is the God-given motivation of our own new life and reconciliation. There's nothing we did to earn these gifts and there should be no other motive for the ministry. Our pride and self-righteousness rails against this. Surely there's something I did or some reason within me for God to choose to transform me, to reconcile me. Surely this ministry is meant to boost my self-confidence, to elevate my platform, to broaden my influence. No. God's ministry of reconciliation squashes our pride and self-righteousness. The proper motive is God's grace to us. Not what we may think we have earned or what we can benefit from it. Well, we just saw the first aspect of God's ministry was the motive for the ministry. The only effective motive is our own reconciliation. Now, the second aspect of God's ministry to correct our prideful distortion of it is the means of reconciliation. The means of reconciliation. In verse 19, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Wait a second. Who was God reconciling? The world? That can't really mean everyone because the Bible's clear that most people will reject God. God was reconciling all people in the world without distinction, not all people without exception. Let me say that again. God was reconciling all people in the world without distinction, not all people without exception. This means that reconciliation is available to people from the whole world, not just Israel. God was reconciling people from every corner of the globe, including Pleasant Hill, including Benicia, including Calistoga, but how was God reconciling the world to himself? What does our passage say? Not counting their trespasses against them. Forgiveness. The whole world has been separated from God because of sin. Our sinfulness separates us from God and the sins we commit 
separate us from God. And God forgives us of our sin. He removes the barrier between us. This is good news. But God didn't stop there. What else does our passage say God did? And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. This good news of the gospel, of forgiveness, it has to be preached. God expects us to tell everyone about the forgiveness available in Christ. This word that Paul uses here, translated entrusting, this carries the idea that something was placed with a purpose. God placed this message on all of us who have experienced his forgiveness with the expectation that we would tell everyone. The only effective means of reconciliation is forgiveness in Christ, available to the whole world without distinction. Don't let your pride and self-righteousness keep this good news from anyone. I mean anyone. Not even your neighbor who cusses you out all the time. Or your coworker who always makes you take the fall for their mistakes. Or your family member who's disowned you because you're a Christian. Or the homeless guy who keeps knocking on your door asking for a handout. Or the homosexual couple living in sin down the street. Or the government official who makes and approves unbiblical policies. The gospel is for the whole world without distinction. Because of the forgiveness we have in Christ. That is the only effective means of reconciliation. The first aspect of God's ministry was the motive for the ministry. The only effective motive is our own reconciliation. And we just saw that the second aspect of God's ministry was the means of reconciliation. The only effective means is forgiveness in Christ. Now the third aspect of God's ministry to correct our prideful distortion of it is the method of the ministry. The method of the ministry in verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. Properly motivated by our own reconciliation and new life and properly directed to the forgiveness available in Christ to the whole world without distinction, there's one logical result being an ambassador for Christ. What does it mean to be an ambassador? It's a big word, ambassador. 
living in a foreign land, speaking with the words and the authority of the one who sent you there. We are strangers in this world. Foreigners, because our citizenship is in heaven. And we speak on God's behalf with his words and his authority. Now, Paul's authoritative words from God were pretty clear. He says, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. This is an urgent call to listen and respond in accordingly. We implore you, don't wait another second to be reconciled to God. Hear the wonderful news that you're forgiven in Christ, if you can believe it. We beg, we plead, we appeal to the heart, but we cannot force. It's not our job to manipulate people into being reconciled. It's not our job to shove the Bible down people's throats. It's our job to implore. And we implore on behalf of Christ. Remember, this is God's ministry of reconciliation that he gave to us. It's not ours to do however we want. This is God's forgiveness in Christ, not ours. This is God's appeal through us, not ours. And this is incredibly freeing because it means that the results are not up to us. If people ignore our pleading, it's not because we did a bad job of convincing. If they ignore us, it's because God is not calling them to be reconciled yet. Now I say yet because we should never presume that someone is beyond reconciliation because they've ignored God's appeal one too many times. And God's appeal to people is to be reconciled to him. This is actually the only command in the entire passage, and it's passive. How do you obey a passive command? Usually commands are like action items, things that we can clearly go and do or not do, like the Ten Commandments. But a passive command passive command can only be obeyed by allowing something to happen to you rather than resisting it. There's nothing we can actively do or not do to obey this command, be reconciled to God. We just have to allow the truth of God's forgiveness in Christ allow it to sink into our heart and stop resisting his reconciliation. I mean, this is the biblical use 
of the popular phrase, let go and let God. Let go of your prideful self-righteousness and let God reconcile you to himself. Now, I think there's been a subtle assumption that this ministry of reconciliation is only for unbelievers to be reconciled to God. Can a Christian benefit from the ministry of reconciliation? Or is this only a ministry for people to become Christians? I think every believer in this room would agree with me that Christians, we still sin. We're never completely cured of sin this side of glory. Oh true, we are freed from the penalty and power of sin, but we will only be free of the presence of sin in heaven. While we are in this fallen world, our sin is still present. And it keeps separating us from God little by little. Our pride will tell us, I'm already a Christian. I don't need to listen to this message. I already know it. Well, we may not be identified as a sinner anymore, but we still sin. And we still need to be reconciled to God daily, hourly, minute by minute. We need to constantly be reminded of the good news of our forgiveness in Christ to keep tearing down that barrier that pops up every time we sin. The only effective method to accomplish the ministry of reconciliation is to plead with people, Christian and non-Christian alike, to listen to the truth of the forgiveness we have in Christ and to understand that this is God pleading through us. So the first aspect of God's ministry was the motive for the ministry. The only effective motive is our own reconciliation with God. And the second aspect was the means of reconciliation. The only effective means is forgiveness in Christ. And we just saw the third aspect of the ministry was the method. The only effective method is God pleading through us. Now the fourth and final aspect of God's ministry to correct our prideful distortion of it is the message of reconciliation. The message of reconciliation in verse 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Who made who do what now? God, the Father, sent his Son, Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, to live a sinless life on this earth. He knew no sin. That way he could go to the cross and take on all of our sin and become sin for our sake. 
and take the full wrath of God in our place. You mean I don't have to pay the penalty for my sin anymore? Yes. Jesus paid it for me? Yes. Praise God, yes. He did that for all of us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In Christ we experience yet another aspect of transformation. This transformation is from sinner to righteous. But not just from someone who sins to someone who lives righteously. This transformation at its base is like the new creation back in verse 17. It's a new identity, not just new behavior. From a person pridefully identified by sin to a person humbly identified by Christ's righteousness. Our sinful or righteous behavior actually flows out of our identity. It does not determine our identity. Now when God looks at us, he doesn't see a sinner to be punished in his wrath. He sees the righteousness of his son, worthy of acceptance and eternal life. But how does this happen? How do we become the righteousness of God? Well, Jesus' perfect righteousness becomes ours. God treats us as if we are as righteous as Jesus because we've become the righteousness of Christ. And God treated Jesus as if he were as sinful as all of us because he became sin for us. This is the most unfair deal in history. We usually don't like it when things are unfair, but only when we're the ones getting the raw end of the deal. When we're the ones who come out on top, we tend to ignore how unfair life is. But God, he's not necessarily concerned with what's fair. He's concerned with what's just and what is loving. And what God did in sending his son to swap places with us, this is the glorious combination of God's justice and love. This is the only effective message to accomplish the ministry of reconciliation, the gospel. Any other message is ineffective. I've heard lots of things offered as substitutes for the gospel. None of them have had any effect at actually reconciling people to God. In our pride and self-righteousness, we may think that mercy ministry like feeding the hungry, giving to the poor, caring for the elderly, 
or things like these, that they're fulfilling the ministry of reconciliation. There's a quote from St. Francis Assisi. He once said, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. I'm sorry. The gospel is a message made up of words. And if you think you're preaching the gospel without words, you're sorely mistaken. These things are good and important in their own right. But they're not the gospel message. Some people have even designated these good deeds as the social gospel. But it's not the gospel. There is only one gospel. It's the message that we have forgiveness in Christ because he swapped places with us. Taking our sin and punishment in his death on the cross and giving us his righteousness so we could be reconciled to God. We may also think that simply telling someone that Jesus loves them is sufficient to be considered the message of reconciliation. But that's too vague. It doesn't confront people with their need and the forgiveness offered in Christ. That may be a good stepping stone to the message, but it's not the message itself. The only effective message of reconciliation is the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4 says that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's the gospel. In our passage today, for our sake, God the Father made his sinless Son, Jesus Christ, to be sin so that in Christ we might be transformed into his righteousness. That's the gospel. God has reconciled everyone without distinction by sending his son to die in our place so that we could be forgiven based on, the righteousness, based on his righteousness, not our own. And all we need to do is believe it. God's ministry of reconciliation must be motivated by our own reconciliation with him. It must be founded on the forgiveness of Christ. It must be pursued by pleading on behalf of Christ. And it must be the unadulterated proclamation of the good news that Jesus took our sin on the cross and gave us his righteousness. I've given a few points of application as we went through this passage. So I'll just sum them up here in one simple point. 
you remember anything from this message, remember this. Kill your pride and self-righteousness. Kill it. We all have it. It never really goes away. When you see it rear its ugly head, kill it with the gospel. Sometimes in our pride and self-righteousness, we may want to do this ministry for the wrong reasons. Remember the gospel. Remember that any other reason is nothing compared to our own reconciliation with God. And sometimes, in our pride and self-righteousness, we may ignore certain people who we think don't deserve to be reconciled to God. Remember the gospel. Remember that you didn't deserve to be reconciled to God either. Remember that God was reconciling humanity without distinction through forgiveness in Christ. And sometimes, in our pride and self-righteousness, we may forget that we are still in constant need of reconciliation. Remember the gospel. Remember that every sin you commit was paid for by the blood of Jesus on the cross. And every time you sin, he offers forgiveness. Sometimes, in our pride and self-righteousness, we may substitute the message of the gospel for something less controversial or easier to fit into our schedule or our personality. Remember the gospel. Remember that there is no substitute for the clear and glorious message that we've been forgiven and reconciled to God because Jesus took our sin and gave us his righteousness. Now, if you've come here today and you've not believed the message of the gospel, you've not yet placed your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, you've not yet stopped resisting being reconciled to God. And what are you waiting for? Stop resisting. Believe and submit to Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. I implore you, be reconciled to God. Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. All it takes is belief and confession. If you believe it, then tell God. Tell him that you believe he's reconciled you through the forgiveness of Christ by placing your sins on him and placing his righteousness on you. If you believe it, then tell us. Tell the world. God has reconciled me and made me a new creation. 
So now I'm telling everyone, as God's ambassador, the forgiveness in Christ is available because he took our sins on the cross and gave us his righteousness. Yes. 